0: Oh! to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 18, as we follow along with today's lesson.
1: Then they asked him, who is it? Who said unto you, Take up your bed and walk. And he was the, who was healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away because there were a multitude of people in that place. And afterwards Jesus found him in the temple. And he said unto him, Behold, you are made whole. And then the command, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Peter tells about the person whose last estate is worse than the first, who has experienced but then turns away. Here's a man who has experienced the power of God. He's been made whole a malady that probably was the direct result of sin in his life. And Jesus is saying, now you go your way and don't sin anymore lest something worse happens to you. And the man departed, and great fellow told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus And they sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. That was the thing that ired them. It happened on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them My Father works today, and I work. My Father works on the Sabbath. Aren't you glad? What if the Lord took every Sabbath day off? (laughs) We'd be in a bad shape, wouldn't we? And so, you know, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, and that's good. My father works continually. He works on the Sabbath day, and so I work. Therefore, the Jews sought all of the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but now he said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now the Jews understood Jesus much better than the Jehovah witnesses or the Mormons today or many other groups who would make Jesus something less than equal with God. They understood what his claims were declaring. They caught on in a hurry, and it upset them that he would declare that God was his father, making him equal with God. This isn't the universal fatherhood of God. They are recognizing something much more that Jesus is claiming here, equality with God. And then answered Jesus and said unto them, and and these verily, verily, I mean, when you get into that, uh, it's, it's an emphasis of the truth. It's, it's sort of like saying, now listen carefully and get this straight. I mean, it, it's sort of the intention getter. What I'm going to tell you now is important and it's true and you better get it straight. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. Interesting statement. But what he seeth the Father do For what things soever he doeth These also doeth the Son likewise Now he said my Father works today I work Whatever I see my Father do I do I'm here to do the will of the Father I'm here to do the work of the Father Jesus made that affirmation I've come not to do my own will But the will of him who sent me And so his life and his ministry was directed by the Father. And whatever he saw the Father doing, and that perhaps could be a great asset, he could see God working in a person's life, and thus he would respond to it, and he would affirm the work that God was doing in a person's life. Whatever I see the Father do, I do. I'm not doing it of myself, which puts an interesting light on the whole subject. We see how God does desire to work in the lives of those who are in need, whether it be in a physical need or whether it be a spiritual need. God is working and God desires to work. With this man, it was in the area of the physical, his impotence for 38 years, but it was also over into the moral. Now go your way and sin no more. For Jesus said, For the Father loveth the Son and shows him all of the things that he himself is doing or desires to do. So whatever he shows me, that is what I'm doing. It's not my works. It's his work that I am doing, the things that he shows me. And he will show... Him greater works than these that you may marvel. This is is just the beginning. He's going to show you even greater works than these. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and makes alive, even so the Son will make alive whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So Jesus is saying, this is just the beginning. You're going to see greater works than these because the Father wants to do greater works. And the Father doesn't judge men for he has committed all of the judgment unto the Son. The powerful authority that the Father has given to the Son. Now Jesus said the father makes alive and so the son will make alive. He did. The widow's son of Nain, Jairus' daughter. And then, of course, John will record the raising again of Lazarus who had been dead for four days. That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Again, so important for the cult groups that have a way of denigrating the deity of Jesus Christ or challenging the deity of Jesus Christ or the equality of Jesus Christ with the Father. Jesus here acknowledges that the honoring of the Son is tantamount to the honoring of the Father And the Father desires that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Equal honor given to Jesus as is given to the Father. And he that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Now, there are those who claim, well, we worship God and so forth. Listen, if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. Plain words of Jesus. Verily, verily, here we have it again. Get it straight. I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Believing on the word, hearing the word, and believing on him who has sent me. Verily, verily, again, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Jesus, when he was brought by Jairus, to the daughter, he said unto her, little maiden, arise. She was dead. She heard his voice. She arose. When he came to the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, as he commanded that they roll back the stone. He then cried, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead heard the voice and came hobbling out. And Jesus said, Loose him. The grave clothes that were wrapped around him, let him go free. So those that were dead heard his voice and they were made alive. For as the Father hath life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. In a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to be declaring to them, No man takes my life from me. I give my life. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Here again, Jesus is declaring his power over death. The Father has given to me to have life in myself. I can lay my life down, I can take my life up again. Verily, verily, I say unto you. The hour is coming, and now is the dead will hear the voice and shall live, for the Father has life in himself, and he has given to the Son to have life in him, himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a messianic title. You'll find it in Daniel uh, and in Ezekiel, a title for the Messiah. And so God has given to him the authority to work. Then he said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth They that have done good unto the resurrection of life And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation As we were studying through the gospel of Luke in chapter 16 We had the account of The rich man who fared sumptuously every day And the poor man named Lazarus who was brought daily And laid at the House by the rich man's house and survived on the scraps that were thrown to him from the rich man's table. Covered with sores. The dogs coming and licking his sores. Poor condition. But the rich man died and the poor man died. The poor man was taken by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was in hell and he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus there being comforted in Abraham's bosom. And he called and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to me that he might take his finger and dip it in water and touch my tongue. I'm tormented in this heat. And Abraham responded, That there's a gulf that is fixed between us. Those that are here can't come over there, neither can those that are there come over here. You in your lifetime had the good things, Lazarus the evil. Now you're tormented while he's comforted. He said, Well, then, if Lazarus can't come over here, would you please send him back to earth? that he might warn my brothers so that they won't come to this horrible place. Abraham said they have Moses, the prophets. If they don't believe them, neither will they believe if one should come back from the dead. Now, in that, Jesus was teaching that prior to his death, Hades, hell, Sheol in the Hebrew, was made up of two compartments, a gulf between them. There was the consciousness of the other side, at least from the underside to the heavenly side or the comforting side. The rich man was aware of Lazarus. Now, there's no uh, indication that Lazarus was aware of the rich man. But the rich man was aware of Lazarus and he was talking to Abraham. Abraham. There was the ability to know, to communicate, but you couldn't cross the gulf. The man had an awareness of what was going on back on the earth, conscious. Though his body was in the grave, yet there was some kind of a spirit body that he possessed. He talked about touching my tongue with water, talked about being tormented in the heat. He still had the consciousness of of life and the things that were going on with his brothers, a concern for them. The one side of torment, the other side was a place of comfort. Now Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He became the father of all of those who will believe. And so it is only appropriate that Abraham sort of be in charge of that one side as people would die and go into the graves, either into one part or the other of Sheol. Those that went into the compartment where Abraham was were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God. God had said to Abraham, Through thy seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed talking about the fact that the Messiah would be born of the seed of Abraham. And Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness, and thus he was comforting those that were there, assuring them of the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises. Now you remember, as Isaiah in 61 tells us of the ministry of Christ, he said to set... At liberty, those that were bound, and to open the prison doors and set the captives free. Here they were held captive in Sheol. When Jesus died, his soul descended into Hades. And there he preached to those who were their captives. No doubt to those that were being comforted by Abraham. You see, according to the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament sacrifices of animals could not put away sin. All they could do was cover sin and point to the cross where the Lamb of God would put away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The animal sacrifices couldn't take away the sin. They could cover, offered in faith, they could cover but they couldn't take away your sin. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to bring the cleansing and the taking away of our sins. So those from Abraham's time till the time of Christ, according to Hebrews, all died in faith, not having received the promise, but seeing it afar off, embraced it, claimed it, held to it, And these all died in faith, not having received the promise God, having reserved some better thing for us that they, apart from us, couldn't come into the perfected state. So Paul tells us, well, Peter tells us in uh, the second chapter of Acts as he is preaching to the multitude who have gathered because of the phenomena on the day of Pentecost. And as Peter begins to preach Christ unto them, He tells them that they with their wicked hands have crucified and slain him, but God raised him from the dead because it was not possible that he could be held by death. For David writing concerning, by the Holy Spirit writing concerning him said, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. And Peter testified God did not leave his soul in hell. Neither did he allow the Holy One to see corruption, but this same Jesus hath God raised. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that he who has ascended is the same one who first of all descended into the lower parts of the earth. And when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. He opened the prison doors to those that were bound. He set at liberty those that had been held captive by death. Matthew 27 tells us that after his resurrection, the graves of many of the saints were open, and they were seen walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Peter tells us that he preached to those souls that were in prison. Now, there is some <laughs> crazy kind of heresy among some of these faith teachers that Uh, We're teaching that Jesus actually went to hell and suffered and all uh, for, and there's where the atonement was really made. No, no, the cross was sufficient. When Jesus said it is finished, he was talking about the finished work of redemption. And he did not suffer in hell, but he preached in hell. (laughs) And it was a glorious revival, I'm sure. I mean, (laughs) here, I am. I did it, I've paid the price. Your sins have been atoned. I'm going to lead you out of this place. (laughs) And when he ascended, he led captives from their captivity. And then he gave gifts unto men. So, Jesus is here declaring. The hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice. Now, if the rich man could talk to Abraham, surely when Jesus preached to those that were there being comforted, those that were with him could hear the glorious triumph of Jesus as he declared to them his victory over death, over sin. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. But there is a interim of time between the two resurrections, as is clearly indicated in the book of Revelation. The first resurrection, and then the second resurrection, which will be a thousand years later. I believe that the first resurrection began with Jesus. He is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. And I believe that the first resurrection is continuing and shall continue until the full number is complete and then the Lord will return in glory and establish His kingdom. And a thousand years later, there will be the resurrection of the unjust dead. Daniel chapter 12 uh, prophesies concerning Uh, the two uh, resurrections or the two destinies of those who rise from the dead. And he tells us, verse 2 of chapter 12, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Those who rise in the second resurrection will rise to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Even as the full complement of those that are be saved will rise in that first resurrection At the second resurrection, the full complement of those who have rejected and are to be damned will rise to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. The books will be opened. They'll be judged out of the things that are written in the books. Whosoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into Gehenna. Not Hades, Gehenna. This is the second death. Now, When the Jews were asking Jesus for a sign, he said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He descended into Hades, Sheol. But when he ascended, when he rose, he led the captives from their captivity, the first and the beginning, the first fruits of the resurrection. I do believe that now to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Paul the Apostle said, We who are in these bodies do often groan, earnestly desiring to be freed from the limitations of the body. Not that I would be unclothed or an unembodied spirit, but I desire to be clothed upon with the body which is from heaven. For we know that as long as we are in these bodies, we are absent from the Lord, but we would choose rather to be absent from this body that we might be present with the Lord. So he's not wishing for some unembodied state, but desiring to just be present with the Lord. Paul declared that he was in a, he had a mixed emotions i am got two things, options here, and I, 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 I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm pulled in both directions. For he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And yet I know that I'm still needed around here for a while. I understand what Paul was talking about. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, but yet I feel like I'm still needed a bit. And so the Lord keeps me around for a while because he's not quite finished with me yet. But But his desire was to depart and to be with Christ. So um, he spoke about an experience he had. He didn't know if he was dead or alive. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, there was a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether dead or alive, I don't know, but I know he was caught up to third heaven and heard such glorious things. It would be a crime to try and describe them in human language. So, the first resurrection is a ongoing process. And it will be concluded when the last martyr is put to death, for his witness for Jesus Christ in the great tribulation period. And that will end the first resurrection. That will will culminate. But the second resurrection takes place a thousand years after the Lord has returned to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. So, they shall come forth that have done good unto the resurrection of life, And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Not much of a resurrection, just to stand before the great white throne judgment and then to receive uh, the final sentence of Gehenna. Jesus again said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So he ties himself together with the Father, his works. It's what he sees the Father doing. His judgment is what he sees the Father. They are so integrated and so intricately tied together that they work as one. Now, Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That is, that would be their claim. Under the law of Moses, under the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. And they would not really recognize a person witnessing for himself unless there were others who would corroborate his witness. So if Jesus, and here he is witnessing of his relationship with the Father, but they're they're not accepting it. But he said, there is another that bears witness of me. And I know the witness which he witnesses of me of truth. John the Baptist. And what did John witness? This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. We got that back in chapter 3. So there's another that bears witness of me. And you sent unto John, and he bore witness of the truth. John said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the other prophet. But I am the voice in the wilderness, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And so John bore a true witness concerning Jesus. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus said, I don't receive the testimony from man, but the things that I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So here is this lame man, 38 years in this condition, now walking around Jerusalem. There's a witness that the Father has sent me, that I'm of God. The works that I do bear witness. Back in chapter 3, you remember Nicodemus came to Jesus and and he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no man can do the works that you're doing except God is with him. Moving on to the 14th chapter of John, Jesus went... uh, Philip said unto him, Lord, just show us the Father and it will suffice us. Jesus said, have I been so long a time with you? Haven't you seen me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. How is it that you say, show us the Father? Believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me or else believe for the very work's sake. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in introducing the subject of Jesus, he said, Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was proved to be of God by the signs and the miracles that he wrought in the midst of you. So Jesus here is calling upon the witness of his works. No man can do the works thou doest except God is with him. So the works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, has borne witness of me. But you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. You think you've heard from God. You haven't. You haven't heard his voice. You remember when Jesus was baptized, as he came up out of the water, when the Spirit of God descended, in the form of a dove and lighted upon him and the voice of the father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father bore witness. He is so proud of his son uh, seeing the obedience and all in baptism that he, he just couldn't hold it. He just had to say, "This is, that's my boy <laughs> in whom I am well pleased. So, we have here the witness of John, the witness of the works, the witness of the Father. And concerning that, Jesus said, And you have not heard His word, and you have not His word, rather, abiding in you for whom He has sent. You do not believe. Therefore, you can't have God's word abiding in you. If you did, you would believe on the one that God sent. And finally... The final witness that he calls are the scriptures themselves. Search the scriptures. Now, more literally, and you search the scriptures. They were in the scriptures. They studied the scriptures. They were diligent in their study of the scriptures. You do search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life but they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Jesus is saying that the scriptures are testifying of him. And he opened the understanding of the disciples to the scriptures as he showed them from Moses through the prophets and in the Psalms all of the things that were spoken concerning him. And as we pointed out this morning, there were over 300 conditions for the Messiah, prophecies of the Messiah, conditions that the Messiah must fulfill in order to be a claimant as the Messiah. And all 300 Jesus fulfilled. No man could do that by accident. We looked at the impossibility of one man fulfilling just 16 by chance. But when you get over 300, you've only compounded the chance factor by so many that it just, uh, our brains can't conceive of it. We can't even conceive of 16, much less 300. Because we made 20,000 universes out of silver dollars Uh, all of the stars in the two trillion galaxies Uh, uh, and uh, the one silver dollar being marked and a person by chance just grabbing it. You know, I mean, you can't even conceive that. I can't even conceive the universe. I can't even conceive the Milky Way galaxy. A hundred billion stars? Give me a break. I can't conceive that. I know, you know, they tell me that's so, and I accept that. I sure can't grasp it. You will not come to me that you might have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. But if you don't come to him, you can't have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Well, that's a strong indictment. I know what's in your heart. You don't have the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. It is interesting that today when you talk to the Jewish rabbis One of their main objections concerning Jesus is right here in John chapter 5, his claim to be the Son of God. And they will tell you that we do not believe that the Messiah will be the Son of God. He will be a man. Because of Moses' prediction, And there shall arise a prophet like unto myself, and to him you shall give heed. Moses was a man. The prophet, the Messiah, will be a man. And and they base it all on that passage of Moses. They do not look at the passages in Psalm 2, Thou art my beloved Son, this day I have begotten thee, or unto the Son he saith, or unto us a child is born, unto us a Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. But they deny Jesus as the Messiah, and their reason is his claimant as being the Son of God. Jesus said this here, I've come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. Now another is going to come, or if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. When the Antichrist comes, he will deceive the nation of Israel and they will acclaim him as the Messiah. It is very interesting today that there is high expectation in Israel among many of the Orthodox Jews that the Messiah is coming very soon. They have a lot of messianic hopes right now. And if you ask them, if the Messiah is a man, how will you then recognize Him? They will tell you, He is going to lead us in the rebuilding of our temple. That is very interesting in the light of Daniel chapter 9, which talks about the prince of the people that shall come and make a covenant with the nation of Israel. But in the midst of that seven-year period, he'll break the covenant and set up the abomination that causes desolation. The covenant, no doubt, including the rebuilding of their temple. He will be acclaimed as their Messiah. Jesus said, How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Oh, God help us. I have seen so much of people seeking honor one from another. These banquets, you know, where they give these introductions. You think that God himself is going to be speaking to you for the next (laughs) hour, you know, as they honor these men or honor others, you know, and, and all. And Jesus said, you are those that are, you know, receiving the honor from each other. And you don't seek the honor that comes only from God. Paul said, if I seek to please all men, I'm not the servant of Jesus Christ. And and it is so much more important that we receive honor from God than honor from man. And so Jesus said, how can you believe when, when you're looking just for plaudits, for honor to come from men? And you're not concerned about the honor that comes only from God. He said, don't think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuses you, Moses, the one you're trusting in. I don't have to accuse you. See, you've already violated the law. Going back to the third chapter again, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, God didn't send me into the world to condemn the world but that the world through me might be saved. And he who believes is not condemned, but he who doesn't believe is condemned already. The law has condemned him. Moses has condemned him. He's violated the law of God. The law of God was intended to show man his sin and his guilt. It isn't a standard by which we were intended to live. You can't live by it. It was intended to show you how far you are living below the standard so that you'll be forced to come to Jesus Christ. The law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Jesus Christ, to make us realize our spiritual bankruptcy. So he that believeth, Jesus said, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned, seeing he has not believed on the only begotten of the Father. And this is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, and they would not come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. So Jesus is saying, don't think I'm going to accuse you of the Father. He's not up there in heaven saying, oh, no, Dad, not that one. I mean... But He is up there interceding for those who believe in Him. Father, just put that one on my account. (laughs) They're mine. They're believing in me and trusting me. So, Father, just... Erase it. Put it on my account. I took care of that one in my debt. I bore their sins. Oh, as Paul said in quoting David, when the prophet said to David, your sins are forgiven. After David had condemned himself to death, that man shall surely be put to death. Nathan said, you're the man, but you're not going to die. David said, I've sinned. Nathan said, God's forgiven your sin." Oh, he said, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Oh, how happy is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity. Oh, how happy we are. God doesn't impute iniquity against our account. He imputes on our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ by our faith and trust in Jesus and are surrendering our lives to His Lordship. I am in Christ, and in Christ there is no condemnation. For Paul the Apostle writing in Romans chapter eight, "There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus." Oh, how happy is that? That's why I go around smiling all the time. <laughs> oh, how happy is the man to whom God doesn't impute iniquity. What a glorious position we have in Christ. I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. But in Christ Jesus. Don't think I'm going to accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuses you, even Moses, the one in whom you're trusting. Because if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. You really don't believe Moses. If you did, you would believe me. Because Moses wrote of me. So it's interesting that whenever Jesus was going back, he quoted more from Deuteronomy than any other Old Testament book. Moses wrote of him. But if you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? Jesus said. So, quite an indictment against them. And this is the first real confrontation. There are going to be more, they're going to get heavier. They're going to get more directed. And uh, so John deals with a lot of these confrontations between Jesus and the Jews and, and how heavy the confrontation grows until finally they see him hanging on the cross, declaring we won't have this man to rule over us. Let's turn to John chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Bible. After these things, and that is the things of Jesus being to the feast of, in Jerusalem and the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and the a discussion that came up with the Jews over that uh, on the Sabbath day. He went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, in chapter 6, we have John's account of the middle part of the ministry of Christ, which begins more or less at the death of John the Baptist and will take us through to Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Actually, chapter 6 encompasses about two years of Jesus' life. This is all that John gives us out of this two years of the middle ministry of Jesus. Other gospels give us Other events. But you remember, John is selective. He is giving just certain of the signs uh, that Jesus uh, did. And so, here in uh, the sixth chapter, we have a couple of signs. But this is all that John tells us of this middle ministry of the life of Jesus Uh, a two year period of time. He picked out these two events in this particular two years. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them, that were diseased. And so at this point, the popularity of Jesus is growing. Everywhere he goes, he's followed by a multitude of people. And you remember that the other Gospels tell us that Uh, The occasion of going over the Sea of Tiberias was uh, the fact that the disciples had come back, uh, that he had sent out, and they gave the reports of how the Lord had worked with them, devils were subject, and so forth. And he said, let's go over to the other side that we might just relax a bit. Uh, There were multitudes of people thronging him everywhere he went, and so they went over to the other side of the sea Uh, to get a little uh, rest and relaxation. But the people saw the direction their ship was going, and they ran around the upper part of the Sea of Galilee so that by the time they landed in this deserted area near Bethsaida, it wasn't deserted. There were a crowd of people waiting for them. And uh, so uh, Jesus ministered to that crowd of people all day, Up until the evening. Now, John puts in this fact that the Passover feast of the Jews was close. They were in that time of the Passover feast, which means that it was a full moon. Jesus went up into a mountain, sat down with his disciples. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great multitude or a great company come to him, and he said unto Philip, Where can we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. It was just sort of a test of Philip's faith and confidence in him. Philip really didn't passed the test, he sort of uh, looked at it from purely a natural standpoint. He said, Lord, I don't think that uh, we could buy bread. Uh, I I think it cost about $8,000 to buy enough bread for all of these people. Uh, He was, Jesus was wanting to know the kind of confidence they had in him. If Philip would say, well, Lord, you know, you can do anything, you know. What do you want to do? But uh, Philip just looked at it from purely a natural standpoint. Andrew was a little braver. He made a slight suggestion, but then he immediately dismissed it. He said, well, there's a little lad here with five loaves and two fish. Uh,
0: We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the feeding of the 5,000. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 5 through 6 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at the wordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673.
1: Father, we thank you for the life that Jesus gives. The life we have in Christ this night. We thank you, Lord, that there is, therefore, no no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for that place of security, that place of assurance, that place of hope that place of comfort in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, it's so glorious to know that our guilt has been taken away, that we stand before you in the righteousness of Christ, that you have imputed that righteousness to our account because of the commitment of our life to believe in him, to trust Him. Lord, bless, we pray. As we go out into this world that is controlled by the powers of darkness, may our lives radiate with the love of Jesus Christ that men might be drawn to the light and be saved. In His name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? There is a. I think it's in our hymnal. There, this song. It really comes from down south. But free from the law, there's no condemnation. Jesus has died, and brought us salvation. Let's see. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ has redeemed us once for all. Once for all, O oh brother, believe it. Once for all, O oh sinner, receive it. Uh, Cling to the cross, your burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. How true. How glorious it is. There is therefore now no condemnation. Oh, how happy is the man to whom God does not impute. This
0: program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I believe in you i always believe in you
1: It is by faith that you've been walking into one level of spiritual maturity to another. Faith is the key to a successful Christian life. and That is why the Word of God tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. It was faith that led Abraham into the land of promise. It was faith that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. It was faith that enabled Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. The question is, what might faith do in you? To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Faith, or to preview a chapter for free online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.